Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. I'm just one of the guys. I was excited about coming to Happy Valley today. I'm ordinarily in Sandy, but I thought I probably shouldn't wear bib overalls going to Happy Valley. Because <laughs> they're cool over there. <laughs> I love Happy Valley, and I'm here often because Jim and Patty's is here. Uh, and so I have to tell you this, uh, Gareth. I, got a, I went out to lunch with a mutual friend, James Milliken, who still has his Irish accent. So I don't know how that happened. Uh, and we went out to lunch last week and I told him about, I gave him the gospel of Jim and Patty's, especially the black tiger shake, I, I said. <laughs> and so he, yeah, yeah you, you drinking one? And so he actually sent me a picture on my phone on Friday of a black sh a tiger shake at Jim and Patty's he was getting ready to drink. And I just texted, brace yourself. <laughs> and he hasn't slept since then, actually. <laughs> so it's so great to be with all of you here. I met Pastor Gareth when he was 18 years old. I was a lad of 40. So we can do the math now, can't we? Uh, I love the fact that uh, Pastor Gareth decided that we need to spend the summer studying the book of Revelation. I don't know if you were hoping no one would come. <laughs> uh, but I remember some years ago, there was a, I was serving at, a, at, a, at another church as a prayer uh, partner, you know, at the front, like we do. And there was a young guy that came up for prayer, and he was, he was trembling. Not because he was old, he was terrified. And he said, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I decided to be a follower of Jesus, and so I got a Bible, and I want to start reading the Bible, and I've started in the book of Revelation. <laughs> and it scared the crap out of me. I don't know what to do. I said, listen, brother, <laughs> I will pray for you. <laughs> However, I'm very happy that you decided to be a follower of Jesus. I'm happy you got a Bible and are actually reading it. It's the last book in the Bible for a reason. <laughs> so I recommend maybe the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John and, you know, not Leviticus. Because there are scary parts in Revelation until you take the time to study it out a little bit, get to know it a little bit. Still, there are scary parts in the book of Revelation. So I told, I told my, uh, my good friends in Sandy, I said, look, I recommend you read the book of Revelation. If you don't want to read the scary parts, do not read chapter 8. This is wisdom for you. <laughs> do not read chapter 9. You say, what are those scorpions with snakes for tails? I don't know. It's scary. It's all about what happens at the end to those who are in the kingdom of the world. It's not for us. <laughs> so you don't need to be afraid unless you haven't. 
unless you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, and then maybe you ought to get the co- a copy of the book of Revelation and, and read chapter 8 and chapter 9. Don't read chapter 13. I find all too many Christians are that too interested in the Antichrist and 666. Now, people say, what do you think 666 means? It means 666. I don't know. I've lived, I've lived long enough where I've lived through several antichrists. I, I think the, <laughs> the most pitiful one was Henry Kissinger. I remember when they decided Henry Kissinger is the antichrist. I said, that is so sad. The guy I read about, he's smart enough to form a one-world government and be in control of everybody's personal lives. I can't see Henry Kissinger ever doing that. (laughs) Do not read chapter 18. It's Babylon, the great whore. Who is that? not Not a nice person. It was Rome in its original context. But read chapters 1 to 3, then jump ahead. And read chapters 21 and 22, and you will understand the book of Revelation. Just, 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 just the bookends. Now, when, when, uh, when Pastor Garrett decided we ought, to, we ought to read the book of Revelation in the summer, I thought it spoke to his quality as a pastor, frankly. And I don't mind saying this. I think it was Pastor Gareth saying, first of all, there are 66 books in the Bible, and they are all God's word to us and for us. They're there for a reason. Uh, second of all, he trusts the Abundant Life congregation to not freak out, but to say, you know, we love God's word. If we're supposed to read, and he's only going through chapter three, so we're not going to read past chapter three necessarily, but he trusts the Abundant Life congregation to take a really neat a neat challenge in the summer and not just come. You know, a lot of pastors in the summer, they're just doing a lot of cotton candy, feel-good sermons because we just want people to say, yay. We call it happy, clappy Christians, you know. They just want to they want to feel good about themselves. You know, life is good. Well, <laughs> he said, you know, the Abundant Life congregation is more mature than that. So I think it's okay if we take a look at some issues that may be relevant for us going forward. And so it's fantastic. As a matter of fact, in in chapter 1, verse 3, I was going to see if Carly had memorized it, but I think she's gone. (laughs) Chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, Because the time is near. So there's a blessing at the beginning for those who read, hear, listen, take to heart what is written in the book. So there's got to be good stuff in it somewhere. And so we are looking at the seven churches, the letters to the seven churches, the book of Revelation, just to do something real quick, because I know Pastor Gareth has done, I've, I've watched him and heard him do this, but the book of Revelation is written in a style that is not, not that we're not familiar with. Probably the closest thing would be like Pilgrim's Progress. And so, it, you know, it's a good book, but it's, you, you know, the, the, the new Christian, he's up and down and around. He doesn't know where he's going. And it's, it's basically symbols and dreams given from heaven's perspective. Symbols of reality. It does, not pre- it does not present objective reality, but symbols of reality. So our task is to interpret the meaning of the symbols. Fortunately, almost all of them come from the Old Testament. 
Most of them are interpreted for us in the context. If you will read the next verse, you'll know what it means. And it's written to actual churches, seven representative churches in the Roman province of Asia during a time of fierce persecution. So I remember Gareth telling us the story of uh, the emperor Domitian, who was a famous, he was in a famous uh, family. His father and his brother before him were Roman emperors. It was his brother Titus who destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 7. They're not nice guys, but Domitian decided, I'm going to do better than my dad and my brother. I'm going to demand that everybody worship me as Lord and God. What do you all think? In fact, we, I'm going to have you build temples to me as your God. And you get to worship, go to the temple and worship me as your God. Well, unfortunately, some of the aristocracy didn't like it, let alone the Christians. And began to actively persecute, send them to prison. They lost their jobs. Some were executed because they refused to worship this clown. Uh, until in AD 96, some of the aristocracy, the upper class, senators, etc., they plotted an assassination, went in in the night. You know how they did in Rome? Went in the night with sharp knives, you know, and, and killed them. And so that was the end of Domitian. And John, who had not been killed, but sent as an old man to the Isle of Patmos, Patmos just to break up stones, Finally was released to go back to Ephesus, but in the meantime, he had visions. He had a series of visions. Some would say four visions altogether and had written them down. So the question, if you are in the province of Asia where the worship of Domitian was most strictly reinforced, if you were in that province during the persecution, my question would be, okay, really, who is in charge here? Uh, is, is Rome in charge? Is Rome in control of history of our lives? Is the emperor in control? Let's hope not. You know, that would be like us Amer Americans saying, you know, is the president in control? Is the governor in control? Governor who? I don't even know for sure. There are a lot of weird people come and go in politics. I've given up really putting a lot of hope in any of them, quite frankly. And so we wonder, are they in control? Is the devil in control? Because a lot of people would say, you know, it's just the devil once again. The devil took over and, and God, well, that's not good theology to begin with because Jesus said all power in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Is that right? So during COVID, I'm, I try not to tell very many stories. Is, there a, is this a timer for me? I took care of my parents in their 90s at the last two and a half years of their lives during COVID. And my mother is old school and she would say, well, sure enough, that means the Lord is coming back soon because, you know, the, the earth is, is, is going to burn up and we're all going to hell in a handbasket. And so Jesus better get himself back down here. Otherwise, there'll be nobody left. And, and I learned, my mother was Scotch-Irish, and so I learned to be kind of a wiseacre for her, from her. And so I would say, well, you know, it, it looks like Jesus is coming back for you soon. <laughs> I don't know about history. Uh, I, it's important for us to read Revelation and see that the message is Jesus is always in control. He never stops being in control. In fact, I have found when it looks like the devil is totally in control, 
you need to get ready because the pattern seems to be that when it looks like the devil is in complete control, all of a sudden Jesus shows up and takes over. And that's the end of that. And so we can be patient as followers of Jesus and say, look, we know Jesus is in control. So the book of Revelation is titled for us, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a picture of Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's not about the Antichrist. It's not about even about Rome, although Rome does not, is not pictured very well in, in the book. And so I'm going to, because I have notes written down, because if I have an iPad and I touch it, it all disappears. I don't know what happened. <laughs> what happened to my notes? They're all gone. And also, with the timer going, I can say, okay, I'm skipping that page. Because <laughs> this is the first service, and we do brunch. Is that right? So here's, I think this is the main point of, for me. The seven churches are all experiencing threats. Threats that are so serious it could result in them as a congregation getting sick and even dying. But persecution is not their threat. Persecution is not a problem for these seven churches. They're all commended for their perseverance in the face of persecution. Yet they all have serious threats, but they're internal threats. They're threats that are developing on the inside that Jesus wants to draw their attention to. Because, you know, it's important to see that every local church is a kingdom embassy. I like to refer to it as a kingdom embassy. We're a, a kingdom community. So at one point in time, uh, probably a handful of folks were sent from Ephesus to Thyatira to plant a church. And they were, they were sent with a, a mission, a kingdom mission. They were there to represent King Jesus in that context and in, in that time. And so they need to be clear, and this is true, I think, for all of the churches. They need to be reminded of what the mission is. So they're not there to be another social club. They're there as a kingdom community, a kingdom embassy. Here's, here's the truth in these, in these chapters. If these churches will be faithful to their mission, they will have a, an overflowing kind of redemptive alternative example to the surrounding community of what a kingdom people looks like. What a kingdom community looks like. But if they begin to lose sight of that, they will start to lose their saltiness. And as a result, elements of the surrounding culture will begin to leak into the church and threaten it. Now, that's true for them, but I think it's still true. I think it's still a principle when it comes to uh, local churches. So Jesus is communi communicating seven letters. He always starts with an opening address from himself in symbolic form. And then he gives either a word of correction and or commendation. And then finally points out their challenge and the need to overcome and a promise to them if they will overcome. So here we go. Uh, this is not a, I, I feel like Frank DiMazio this morning. I want to, I want to say that was only my introduction. <laughs> Thyatira, you know, I, I was going to show a map, but I'm not going to do that because Garrett did a great job showing the map. Thyatira is one of those churches kind of on their Pony Express, you know, their communication route. It was originally established as a military outpost. It was filled up with retired military personnel and became a center of manufacturing and commerce in the province of Asia. All of those craftsmen organized themselves into trade guilds that eventually controlled the 
city. So those trade guilds were centers of commerce and social life in the city. Everyone had a patron god or goddess, and every trade guild had their own temple to their patron god or goddess. And you could not work, you could not get a job unless you belonged to one of the trade guilds and attended their meetings, which were not like the Rotary meeting. They went to this pagan temple and they practiced pagan religion and they had pagan banquets, which were not a, a, you know, a smorgasbord. Uh, they practiced, because all of those pagan religions also then ended up in forms of sacred immorality with, you know, bring in the girls and they all, here we go. And so it, you couldn't actually be employed in the city unless you were willing to do all of that. So here we go, chapter two, verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, whose feet are burnished bronze. Now, you know, there was a temple in the city. The city's patron god was Apollo, who was the god, he was the son of Zeus. And there was a big temple of Apollo. And there was also a shrine to an oracle. They had Greek oracles. And this was a lady who was supposed to prophesy under the influence of Apollo. And this particular shrine and this particular oracle, a prophetess, was literally the strongest influence in, in the city. So Jesus basically said, look, I am the son of the God. And there isn't another. No matter what all these people are saying, I'm it. His eyes like blazing fire indicated that he had perfect insight, judgment, and discernment. He could see clearly and perfectly what was going on and what was at stake. And having uh, his feet like the fire of burnished bronze meant that he was coming in judgment. Now, I don't know that judgment is our favorite theme in the Bible, but the word judgment simply means to discern, to discriminate, to make a distinction between one thing and another, and then to decide what to do with that information. Jesus was perfect in judgment. Uh, you know, some of us, I, I hear some young guys saying, you know, we don't judge. Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. And he also said, but judge with righteous judgment. So it means don't be judgmental. Don't think you're so self-righteous and you're so good that you can just judge everybody. No, don't do that. But when the Holy Spirit shows up and gives you a word of judgment, discernment, distinction, then you need to accept it and act on it. Is, is that okay? That's essentially what we see in this, in this uh, uh, letter. So here's my conclusion, not the, the conclusion of the conclusion. No, I, I, needed, I need to say that because last week I said that and I'm just starting point one and the musicians came up. I said, no, not that conclusion. I'll let you know when I'm at that conclusion. It was kind of embarrassing, really. <laughs> Here's the slide. Jesus has ultimate authority with perfect discernment and judgment. We can trust his judgment. And he has opinions about stuff. And so it's very important for us to hear the word of the Lord. So here's verse 19. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. Now, this is the greatest commendation of any of the seven letters, much better than Ephesus that was the mother church, the 
church planting, mission sending church. They were actually criticized for not having some of these uh, features. They were, a, they were on mission. They were a loving church. They were a faithful church. They're commended for their lifestyle of service in the face of a persecution. And their fruitfulness was growing and not getting less. Now, if I were them, you know, somebody brought this letter to the church to read. Okay, I'm reading. Amen. And let's roll the scroll back up and let's all, you know, go eat fried chicken. I lived in the deep south for 15 years, so that's what I... But no, that's not the end of the story. Wouldn't that be great if that was the end of the story? This is the greatest combination. So you're wondering, okay, what could have gone wrong in that context? And and so we have um, verse 20. Are you ready? But I have this against you. Okay, chill, Jesus. You just got us all in a good mood. That you tolerate... That woman Jezebel, I want to tell you, this is not a gender issue. You know, I grew up in a church who would say, yeah, it's that Jezebel woman over there with the lipstick. (laughs) I grew up in one of those churches, as did you, Jenny. (laughs) No, this is not a gender issue. There is an Old Testament story that forms the background to what Jesus is trying to say. You remember the story of Jezebel? who married the, uh, the Israelite king Ahab, and when she showed up, she brought 400, uh, 400 priests of Baal with her, which was not a good idea. So I, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat sacrificial idols, in other words, to go to their weekly guild meeting, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Somehow that ends up being a key you know, point for them in pagan religion. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, which is the only place in the book of Revelation where the phrase great tribulation is found. I just thought I would throw that in. Unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. I say, Jesus, calm down, man. (laughs) And all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will give to each one of you according to your work. Now, you're wishing I had not read those verses. But you have to understand the situation. This is a prophetess who is leading some of, as Jesus said, my servants. In other words, these are members of the leadership team in this church who have decided that they accept a new doctrine that actually originated in Ephesus, and they have accepted. Sometimes in Revelation it's called the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Sometimes it's referred to as the teaching of Balaam and eventually became known as Gnosticism. And basically it was a Greek idea that said uh, anything done with the physical body is irrelevant. Irrelevant. As long as your spirit has been enlightened. And so if you, and by the way, we can say, you know, give, give, pay us some money and we'll declare you to be enlightened. And so long as your spirit is enlightened, whatever you do with your physical body is irrelevant. So go to your weekly meeting, man. Eat whatever they eat and just do, do, your, do your thing. 
And so what are you going to do? Say, here's the danger. If you have uh, some leadership folks in the church who show up and said, you know what? We've been watching some YouTube videos. And some really smart people have proposed that whatever we do with our physical body is irrelevant so long as our spirit, if, if we are, you know, said the prayer, we're followers of Jesus, we can just do with our physical body whatever you want. How many of you think that's a great idea? Yay! All the eighth graders will raise their hand. But this, this is a problem. So if you began to act this out, now the letter to the church of Thyatira has a lot to do with the authority of King Jesus in his kingdom and the authority of the truth. And so concepts have consequences. So if you decide you're gonna believe that whatever you do with your physical body is irrelevant and you're gonna act that out, it could be almost anything as it was here. Uh, somehow that has to be important to us. I know in the modern church, we don't like to think about, okay, doctrine is really not that important. We don't study theology because it just divides people. And so we're prepared to just love on everybody. It doesn't matter what y'all come, which is good up to a point. You know, and I can just imagine coming to church someday and seeing a, 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 an elder, and not any of these elders, and a, a couple of pastoral staff, none of ours, saying, you know what? We've been listening to a podcast, and some really smart guys have proposed a really neat idea. We've decided that everybody is going to end up in heaven. No matter how they live, what do you all think? Yay! Eighth graders all raise their hand. But concepts have consequences. You can't just let it go. Is, is that okay? And so Jesus is prepared to draw a line. He's saying, you all, because some of you have all along said, no, 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 no. We don't believe this. This is not true. It's not acceptable. But you haven't done anything to stop it. And so because you haven't, great suffering has come into the congregation. It threatens the very life of the congregation. And... The timer just changed. <laughs> no, I'm, there it is. It's like letters like this. No, no, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm used to just talking until the bell rings and everybody gets up and leaves. <laughs> Which I think would work here, actually. <laughs> so Jesus is in essence saying, okay, a lot, most of you have not bought this but you haven't stopped it either. And it's brought great suffering into the congregation and threatens the life of the congregation. So I'm going to move in and stop it myself. Wow, really? Jesus would do that? Hopefully, if he's graceful and merciful to us, he would do that. But then he's going to come back around and say, okay, you have forgotten that you are a community of authority. You are representing King Jesus in your context. You have kingdom authority on your side. And so here is verse 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan... I think just calling the doctrine that should have been a clue. <laughs> to you, I say, do not I do not lay on you any other burden. And here's the key word, only hold fast. 
It's a word that literally means hold fast with great strength, with great energy. Get a grip on it and don't let it go. Hold fast to what you have until I come. And so he's, Jesus is calling on them to recommit themselves very, very clearly. Certainly the rest of the leadership team, the members of the congregation. He's calling on them to recommit themselves, I, th I think, to three things. One, to the teaching of Christ. And so in the church, they would call it the apostles' doctrine. For us, it's just the New Testament. So he's calling on them to recommit themselves to the teachings of Christ. He's calling on them to recommit themselves to life under God's righteous rule. Because God does have opinions about this stuff. And he's calling on them to recommit themselves to their mission in Thyatira. Remember why I sent you here in the beginning. It reminds me of a, a verse in 2 John. 2 John is not a, a, an epistle we spend a lot of time reflecting prayerfully on. But 2 John chapter, is, there's only chapter 1, and verse 9 says this, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. I love how uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrased it in the message. He said, anyone who gets so progressive in his thinking that he walks out on the teaching of Christ walks out on God. But whoever stays with the teaching stays faithful to both the Father and the Son. So those who had not bought the deep things of Satan need to recommit themselves to the authority that they have when Jesus sent them. He said, I sent you into this community with a mission and I give you the authority to accomplish the mission. And if you don't use it, it's just going to wreck the whole story. So here's another conclusion that is not the, the last conclusion. While Thyatira was a loving, loyal congregation, they refused to set standards and draw lines, endangering the life and well-being of the church and its members. You know, this is personal as well. Uh, I'm sure you've probably dealt with the issue of boundaries in your life. And sometimes we find it difficult to recognize that God has drawn boundaries around my life and your life. Those boundaries define who we are, but they're also our place of protection and our place of flourishing. So it's true corporately as well. So we have to be able to make those distinctions. And my boundaries specifically, and maybe don't it totally uh, intersect with yours, but they're, they're what are they're what important for me. And the boundaries for Abundant Life Church are not necessarily the exact same as those who are somewhere else with a different mission, with different authority to do what Jesus has asked them to do. But it's important for us and for our pastoral leaders, of course, to understand that. So here we go, Revelation 2.26 the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations ultimately. He will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, quoting Psalm 2, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I love this last promise, and I will give him the morning star. You see, Jesus is described elsewhere in Revelation as the morning star. Jesus is essentially saying, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you myself. I mean, what greater thing can there be? So the challenge was to overcome the tendency to tolerate elements of the surrounding culture in order to be a loving, serving church. You know, it's possible to just say, you know, we're nice people. 
You know, we, we, we love everybody. Well, I think it's absolutely essential for us to be a welcoming, embracing, hospitable congregation while recognizing that we have kingdom mission and kingdom authority. Their challenge was to be a church of kingdom authority in the midst of a city of imperial accommodation, no matter what the cost of it. They might lose their job. Neighbors will think there's some kind of weird people, but nevertheless, they're on assignment from the king and they need to live it out. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So I've got four final conclusions. These are the final conclusions. I'm not going to preach them. I'm going to read them. They'll be up there. You can read them as well. But I think this is what we should learn from it. I think it's what that I should learn from it. Number one, being a loving, faithful, fruitful congregation invites the commendation of Jesus. He said, well done. You're, this represents me. This is who I am. So it invites the, the commendation of Jesus. Number two, the church has been given authority by Jesus to represent his rule in the local congregation. And that's why we have pastoral leaders. Uh, you know, I just love, I, of course, I love uh, Pastor Gareth and Jenny, but I love all the, all the other leaders that I have been able to met, uh, meet. Uh, Dave is doing much better. He's got the thing. And uh, we love Aaron. Aaron is our favorite guy. Is Aaron still here? He comes over. Aaron comes over to Sandy. This is everybody's opportunity to be hugged. Because I'm going, welcome. And I think, I'm a northerner. I have personal space. We love Pastor David, who was there today. David is just a super smart guy. We love David. Jenny's my favorite preacher. She's embarrassed when I say that. It's simply true. So the church has been given authority by Jesus, and we call them elders. We call them pastoral leaders. Now listen, Jesus has not given us authority in the local community. So I find a lot of Christians spend most of their time being upset at sinners for sinning. Can you believe what they're doing on the street? Yes. And you know, all the weed doesn't help. <laughs> you know, that other church that I was at, I was part of a men's group that were just brand new Christians, guys, that they were there because they, they were needed accountability. One guy said, I'm thank God I'm growing in the Lord. I smoke less weed than I used to. I said, it doesn't show yet. <laughs> And don't read the book of Revelation. <laughs> Can you believe what there's some of those are teaching in the public school? Yes. It's, it's about the authority of the kingdom of God as expressed in a, a local kingdom community that is representing Jesus in our time and place. We're here on a mission. We're on a mission. And so we're taking that seriously. Number three, I told you I wasn't going to preach them. Number three, we must be willing to draw lines of truth even when it might mean clashing with the surrounding culture. Well, that's not, I want to be cool. Well, fine. You know, wear cool clothes. I don't know. 
But there are some lines that just shouldn't be crossed simply because we move into an area of danger and in the possibility of, of stuff really starting to go wrong. And number four, we must be willing to exercise loving, humble authority to protect the life of the church while seeking repentance and restoration. Jesus said three times, I told them to repent. I gave them time to repent. I asked them to repent. And they absolutely refused over and over and over again. And so I've decided because I love the church, I'm, I'm just going to fix it. So we, uh, we welcome, we're a welcoming church. We, people ought to come for the first time through the church doors and feel immediately welcome. Isn't that right? If any of you ever visited a church and nobody even noticed you were there? I mean, it's, just, it's just humiliating. No, that's not who we are. But if they, if they come in and say, okay, Pastor Gareth, we want Abundant Life Church to begin to march up and down the street on behalf of the following. I said, well, God bless you, man. No. <laughs> come on, is that okay? So I think what we ought to do this morning is pray for our leaders. Don't you think that's a good idea? I just appreciate everybody who's here. What a great, uh, the, your, your future is great. Listen, the past is behind us. We can't do anything about it. It's gone. We're, we're alive right here and now. And the future, the pathway that the Lord has for us in the kingdom is heading out in front of us. And it's beautiful. And it's wonderful. What a great opportunity to be with the Lord and to serve the, with the Lord and to serve with each other in times like this. And listen, our best days are still to come. So will you join me in prayer for our leaders? Father, I thank you for Pastor Gareth and for Pastor Jenny. I thank you for the great staff pastors, what wonderful leaders they are with great hearts and great communication skills. Thank you for the great elders who are here, men and women. Thank you that there are men and women. I pray, Father, that you would just continue to bring a spirit of excellence that there would be righteous discernment and that your hand of protection would rest upon the leaders and every member of this congregation. I pray that whenever anybody comes through these doors for the first time, they will experience a place of healing, a place of restoration, a place of relationship with you and with one another. What a great opportunity. So I pray, Father, that you would bless each one here today. Let your favor rest upon Abundant Life Church. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.